0: You are listening to The Tish with Rabbi Michael Knopf, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Rabbi Michael Knopf, please visit MikeKnopf.com. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome, everybody. Um, I have uh, some handouts I'm going to pass along to you. I think it looks like i made it up. Actually, I need one myself. Um... So this is uh, uh, it's the end of the world as we know it. What banned books of the Bible teach us about the apocalypse, heaven, and hell. So the first thing uh, that uh, that you'll see on your page under my name is uh, um, a uh, a famous quote from the Mishnah. Uh, part of this is is we need to have a little bit of a historical perspective. So the Mishnah was compiled around. Um, 200 CE. Um, so, uh, about 200 years after the birth of Jesus um, in the land of Israel. Um, and uh, um, here, I can put the purse over here if it's more comfortable. for you.
1: Um, So,
0: um, so around 200 CE uh, in the land of Israel, the Mishnah was compiled. Do we have extra copies uh, yes. over there? Can we pass them now? Um, and, uh, um, uh, many of the books that we are talking about, uh, and there's a, there's there's a reason for this. That's it's embedded in, in what the books are actually about. Um, were written uh, between, uh, let's say, roughly uh, 200 BCE to um, uh, to 100 CE. Okay, or maybe a little bit later than that, to 150 CE. Um, so. Most of the books that we're talking about were written before the Mishnah was written. The Mishnah is a compilation of rabbinic uh, uh, law. Um, and, uh, and so uh, there's this following statement in, in the Mishnah, which, again, is, is later than many of the books that we're going to be talking about. All Israel have a portion in the world to come. Okay, so... First to note in the concept that we will be talking about is an idea of a world to come. Right? This world is not uh, uh, all that there is. Uh, there is another world. Now, uh, there is uh, um, something of... Um, a lack of clarity uh, in uh, rabbinic literature about what the, what the world to come is. Is it a world that we go to after we die? Is it heaven? Um, or is it a, a world that is going to come and replace this world? Um, maybe it's both. Um, but anyway, that is an idea that is not reflected at all in the Bible. Okay, there's, there's uh, no mention in the Bible of the phrase Olam Haba, a world to come. Um, the closest we get to it is uh is uh, uh, an idea in the prophets of um of a of a Yom Adonai a, a a day of the lord um that that is coming but uh but the idea of a, a new world a world to come even a heaven um is uh, is an idea that's not expressed in the bible at all but uh, by by the rabbinic period you have it in a lot of ways i argue because of the books that we're going to talk about today so all israel all every jew has a place in the world to come there's, a, there's a, a, um, a, um, a, some parts of this mission that I left out, because uh, I wanted to focus on this one statement, but the following have no portion therein, so there are some Jews that, even though they're Jews, they get left out uh, for various reasons, and uh, one of them, according to Rabbi Akiva, is one who reads non-canonical books. <laughs> Okay, so I just want everybody to be clear about what you're doing here is that uh, by virtue of our being here and discussing this matter, you may be forfeiting your share in the world to come. We'll so I just, what?
2: We'll be together.
0: Abandon, <laughs> we'll be together. I just wanted to let you know, abandon all hope ye who enter here, okay, um, that, uh, that this is what we're doing, okay? Uh, so uh, uh, so that's according to Rabbi Akiva, at least, in the, in the Mishnah. Okay, so most of the uh, books that uh, um, are banned from the Bible fit into a genre, and here we have coffee and water and stuff, fit into a genre uh, that, uh, that scholars call apocalyptic literature. Okay, so, um, uh, so two pieces. Uh, um, one is... Um, uh, uh, Why is it called apocalyptic literature? So apocalypse is a term we usually use today to identify what?
2: The end of the world. The end
0: of the world. Good. So part of the reason for that is that that's basically the content of most apocalyptic literature is that it talks about the end of the world. The term apocalypse actually uh, um, closer etymologically means um, uh, revealing the hidden. Okay, so one of the characteristics, and I'll get to this in a moment, one of the characteristics of apocalyptic literature is that uh, its author is trying to peel back the veil of reality to uncover a deeper reality that's uh, that, that's underlying and maybe even pulling the strings of everything that exists here and will one day replace or be more visible and apparent to uh, everybody in, uh, in, in our reality. Okay, So that's, that's what the term apocalypse means. It means uncovering the hidden. Um, so I, I gave here a definition from uh, 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 the biblical scholar D.S. Russell, what he says apocalyptic literature is. Uh, and I'll get to in uh, in a little while, uh, maybe toward the end, why these books were banned from the Bible. Part of the reason, which is a sort of mundane reason, is that uh, many of the books were written after the conclusion of uh, of of the Bible, right? So the. Bible, for the most part, was compiled um, around the time of the uh, uh, Babylonian exile, uh, maybe a little bit after when the Bab- when the exiles returned to Judah um, from Babylon, so sometime around 450-400 BCE, um, with uh, some books being added to the Bible um, later on, so uh, 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 in... With with basically everything being added to everything, let me rephrase that. Um, everything that was eventually canonized into the Bible, having been written by um, uh, the by the time of the story of Hanukkah or around the time of the story of Hanukkah, although the final canonization probably didn't happen until the rabbinic period. So the the rabbis were ultimately responsible for. Um, uh, Saying what was in and what was officially out of, uh, of of the Hebrew Bible by then it was pretty clear for the most part what was going to be in what was going to be out but the rabbis ultimately had had, had final say and there's certain historical reasons for that not necessarily because they had the authority to but because how history played out does
3: this have anything to do
0: with Yavne right so it, it does have a lot to do with Yavne when when the Romans destroyed Jerusalem in 70 C E the uh, rabbinic movement was really the the um uh sole surviving and most authoritative jewish movement uh uh to uh to outlast uh, the roman destruction uh, and so the rabbis ultimately got to have their say over what was authentic Judaism and what was not authentic Judaism. Um, the Christians, who were um, uh, slowly growing among the Jewish population at the time, had their own opinion about what was in and what was out in in terms of Judaism. Um, uh, the Christians had a more uh a generous attitude toward the type of literature that we're talking about here for reasons we'll discuss uh than the rabbis did although a lot of the ideas in this kind of literature even though it didn't end up making into the bible crept into the rabbinic consciousness and crept into rabbinic literature and therefore into the jewish tradition so we'll see that
2: Excuse me, what's the Hansen reference?
0: What book is that? Down at the bottom. You've got a footnote but I couldn't find out. Uh, oh, sorry. Yeah, so I, I mentioned, I said D.S. Russell was where the, uh, um, the okay. apocalypse, uh, Hansen is another biblical scholar, and for some reason when I was uh, copying some of these notes over from another thing, I, I left off the actual citation. So if you want the actual citation of that, I'll give it to you later. Thank you. Okay. Uh, so Hansen defines apocalyptic literature like this. a group of writings concerned with the renewal of faith, and the reordering of life on the basis of a vision of a prototypical heavenly order revealed to a religious community through a seer. Okay, so that's very scholarly language, basically for saying this, right? that, um, that there is a problem happening among believers. Uh, believers are being persecuted, or believers are few and far between, evil seems to be running rampant in the world, and the author of, uh, of, of these type of books is concerned with um, how uh, uh, God's uh, promise, God's rule, God's justice is ultimately going to be restored, um, and the evil order that currently exists is going to be overturned. Um, and it's couched in the context of there being a deeper reality than the one that we can see, right? So there's something that's happening in the world that that human beings, most human beings, except for the author of the book, is not privy to, <laughs> right? Um, and so there's a, uh, there's a seer that gets to see, that gets to peek back behind that veil and see what's really going on, and is Revealing that to, uh, to to everybody else uh, that that's out there, the author tends to relativize the significance of existing realities by depicting how they are about to be superseded by God's universal reign in an eschatological event that can neither be hastened nor thwarted by human efforts. All right. So what that means is that what's happening now, uh, even though it feels bad, right? There's a lot of bad stuff going on. Um, it doesn't really matter. Right, it's not it's not what's really happening, and what you need to know is that uh, um, uh, there's going to be a suspension of them or an overturning of them by God um, in an eschatological event. Es- eschatological is a fancy term meaning the end of times. That's the term we we say apocalypse is the end of times, but es- es- the eschaton is the end of days. Um, so an eschatological event means the uh, the, the the moment in which. Uh, this time ends and a new era begins, or a new world begins, um, that can neither be hastened nor thwarted by human efforts. That's an important point. One that gets that creeps in, we will see, into uh, rabbinic consciousness and Jewish consciousness, although is perhaps one of the reasons that this literature doesn't uh, end up making it into uh, um, uh, a "Quote unquote authoritative Judaism,"
4: but in a sense, isn't that what rabbinic Judaism is? We can't beat the Romans militarily, so we're going to wait for the Mashiach down the road.
0: Yes, exactly. So, so a lot of rabbinic Judaism is influenced by this kind of because this kind of literature is exa- is dealing with exactly that reality, right? Um, we uh, we feel powerless uh, in the face of the Romans. Um, we we have no sovereignty. Righteous people are being persecuted, right, are being, uh, um, uh, after the Roman destruction, around the time of the Bar Kokhba revolt, you have, you know, real persecution of, of, of rabbis by the Romans, you, uh, the execution of the, the, the ten martyrs um, uh, by the Romans, and things like all the but the execution of righteous people in the in, from the perspective of um, uh, observant Jews was happening throughout the Roman period. Um, and so the sense is, you know, either... You have to say that, that either God is not just, or God's justice hasn't happened yet, right? And uh, and what we need to do is wait around for God's justice, which is coming sometime soon. And uh, um, it, it, the idea of Mashiach we'll get to in a, in,
4: in a moment, but yes.
0: Um, the idea that it can neither be hastened nor thwarted by human efforts, I think, is an important point that uh, that, that, again, creeps into the rabbinic, uh, viewpoint of things um, uh, although in a lot of ways um, is is ultimately uh, not I think shared by uh, by by uh, what what ends up developing through the rabbinic tradition although it's still you still have it in in a lot of uh, Judaism today yes
4: how, how, that, how do you uh, deal with the tension between the covenant that God makes with Noah and that the world will not be destroyed by flood. By flood. Put away fire. Uh, With this issue, with this concept that there is uh, an eschatological event that will create a new
0: world. Right. So uh, it's a good question. Um, So part of the way of dealing with that question, um, like a biblical scholar, um, would be to say that those are two different authors with two very different kinds of traditions. Um, another way of saying it is to read it literally, that God won't destroy the world with a flood, but uh, other kinds of destruction are fair game. Um, another possibility is that uh, you read the uh, Eschaton um, not as a, as a wholesale uh, annihilation of, uh, of, of, uh, of the world, but a restoration of it, right? So certain wicked people get uh, wiped out, but not everybody, um, and uh, righteous get vindicated, and even more than that, we will see. Uh, the the dead get resurrected. So it is. It's even. It's even. It's even further than the world isn't destroyed. Right. The destruction that's already happened is actually undone by the uh, eschatological event.
2: Yeah, I thought that Revelation was a Christian idea. You know, the the rapture and all that. And that Judaism was like you said that we that it's that it's not destroyed. It just comes. Something happens to the to good people. Go well, well but, but, but even
0: so, what's interesting is that the Book of Revelation um, uh, uh, is is actually a, a Jewish book of the Gospels, um, written by a Jewish author um, who was very much influenced by this literature um and uh, and the book of revelation doesn't talk about the the entire destruction of the world um it talks about exactly the uh the, the sort of scenario that i was uh, describing certain people get destroyed for sure um and there's a judgment of uh, the righteous and the wicked but the but uh but it's not the same as say noah's flood where everybody's destroyed except okay. for one
1: family okay. right um rabbi excuse <laughs> me what is the world is the world <laughs> Israel, or is the world mm. the planet? Yeah, as the world they knew it then, which was not our planet.
0: Right. So uh, um, it depends on what author you're reading. Is the short answer to the question. Um, what 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 uh what's, what's interesting about these books is that they expand the idea of the world. I think from uh, what what is um, uh, more or less contained in the Bible, where where the world that people are. Primarily concerned with is Israel and the land of Israel. So the prophets that talk about um, a a day of the Lord. um, uh, So you know the classical prophets, uh, literary prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. Although Ezekiel has some elements of what we're what we're talking about today. um, uh, They talk about a uh, a day of the Lord. They talk about the restoration of the divinic monarchy and things like that. But they. What, they, what they're not really describing an eschatological event, they're describing um, you know, uh, like uh, like Tolkien, the return of the king right, uh, that uh, that everything's going to be basically the same, except for we're going to have a strong leader of Davidic descent, usually Davidic descent, sometimes it's Levitical descent, Davidic descent who's going to come and make things better and defeat all of our enemies, they will live in their realm or whatever there might be a lot of bloodshed to get us there, but it's not, uh, it's not God overturning the world—it's—it's um, uh, it's a primarily a human event. Yeah. Um, um, so it's uh, it, 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 uh, so in, in the prophetic consciousness, the world is really Israel. The um, um, uh, apocalyptic writers, in, in part because of historical realities that uh, that in the time period that oh thank you in the time period that we're talking about, the Jewish community had become spread out m- much further than the land of Israel. Um, Again, like I said, most of the literature we're talking about happens between, uh, um, let's say, roughly 200 BCE to, I said 150, or we can even push it to 200 CE. Um, The Jewish world was wider then, right? There were Jews living in Babylonia and Egypt and Rome and in all sorts of places. So, um, so the, uh, 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 so the, 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 uh, restoration of the Jewish people um, had to uh, uh, be referring to things outside of the land of Israel, and um, the view of God was bigger by then, because there are Jews living outside of the land of Israel, so God wasn't uh, at that point anymore, if you were in my history class, we talked about this a little bit, a a, a localized uh, national deity eventually, through the course of the development of uh, this idea through history, um, and you can see this really developing in, in the prophets, um, uh, God becomes not just the God of the Jews, but the God of the whole world. Um, so that means if God is the God of the whole world, um, and the Jews are living in places beyond just the land of Israel, um, then uh, then, then the event that's talked about by the prophets is reinterpreted uh, to mean not just what's happening in the land of Israel, maybe not, even not just what's happening to the Jews, but what's happening to the whole world. Um, So, uh, I'll just give you one example, and it's fresh in my mind because I was just studying this last week at a conference I was at, and uh, one of the books that's uh, uh, referenced here in the table that I gave you is uh, the book of Zechariah, which isn't obviously a banned book of the Bible, it's in the Bible, but it has some pieces of it that have similar characteristics to the apocalyptic literature. Um, and, uh, it talks about, uh, this Yom Adonai, this day of the Lord, and, uh, and, and, uh, it says a very famous line. Um, the Adonai, Lemelech al-Kol Ha'aretz by Yom Hahu. Right? That, uh, that, and it will be that, uh, the Eternal will be the, uh, the King or the Sovereign of all the earth on that day. Um, Zachariah may have been just talking about the Land of Israel. But it's easy to read that passage by saying, Al-Kol Ha'aretz, yeah. over all the world, to, to say, well, clearly he's not just talking about the land of Israel, he's talking about the whole earth, right? And then it's he exactly goes even further, right? Um, uh, the.
3: That's uh, what's that? Is it's in al exactly. Because yeah. there's only one God. It has to, it, be, right, it has
0: to be the whole it's world, exactly. Right? And then, right, because he goes even further in Zechariah, so he's, Vahaya, Adonai, Lamel, al kol Ha'aretz, Bayomahu, um, uh, uh the yeah, Adonai echad ushemo echad, right? And and God and the Lord will be one and His name one um, uh, on that day. Uh, So right, so even the more so, right? If there's one God and it's the God of the whole planet, right? Not just uh, the known planet,
1: and not just of Jews,
0: and not just of Jews either, exactly. Um, okay, so, uh, back to the definition of the literature. So it's about to unfold true to an eternal plan as the result of divine action, right? God is going to see that this happens, um, and, uh, and, and maybe we'll use human beings as God's instrument, but, uh, but will not be a human event. Okay? So what I gave here are, is a table in, in uh, uh, spans from pages one to two of, um, of, of this literature with, with, with dates. Um, <clears throat> some of it you can see, uh, ends up in the Bible itself. Um, and, uh, um, and, and so you can open up any, any Hebrew Bible and see, um, the kind of literature that we're talking about, uh, reflected in there. Um, why many of those books are in the Bible um, is because they were uh, written fairly early on in Jewish history the, uh, by the Maccabean period. You may not find as many in that uh, volume, Lou, because... Oh, I know. Yeah, okay.
4: I know. Um, well, I was just, what I was going to look yeah. for was the uh, Haftorah. Um, it has that passage of Zechariah? No, well, that one, but also with Joel and Malachi. Because,
0: yes, yes. Uh,
4: between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Right,
0: right. Say,
4: hey. Isn't that... Is, am, am I wrong, or is that
0: over? Uh, I'm trying to remember if the so, uh, is the whole book of Malachi it done in that. Uh, no, um, no. I, I don't know if chapter three is or not. I, let's look. Um, but the 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 uh, um, the uh, half Torah in the Shabbat between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur okay, right. um, should be in that book. So what about you? Don't
2: have Ben Sira or the Maccabees under the under the uh,
0: uh, that's true because uh, so I didn't list out all the Apocrypha. Okay. Uh, I only list out Apocrypha that, um, that, that fit into this genre. There, there are some books that banned, didn't make it into the Bible um, that don't fit into this genre. Um, uh, uh, Maccabees and Mansera are, the, are the, the, the most obvious ones. Um, uh, Maccabees are primarily is a primarily historical book. Uh, ben Sira is primarily a book of what, what it's called wisdom literature. So it's sort of like the book of Proverbs, um, and so there are some books like that that didn't make it into the Bible. By and large, the books that I was interested in that didn't make it into the Bible were these, and by and large, it seems like the the, the vast majority of books that we know of um, that uh, that that were written during more or less uh, the, the the biblical or or, 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 or ancient period um, were of this genre. Um, and were deliberately left out of the canonized Bible. Um, some of them, um, why I list them as apocrypha. Apocrypha refers to uh, books that um, uh, 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 are not in the um, are not in the Hebrew Scriptures, uh, so aren't in the canonized Jewish Bible, uh, but nevertheless the Catholic Church uh, included in. Uh, in the Catholic Bible, but
2: the Protestants don't.
0: The Protestants don't. Martin Luther excised them from the uh, uh, from from the Protestant Bible. Although you can get editions of um, Protestant Bibles like this one, the New Revised Standard Edition, that has with the Apocrypha, right? So oh, it adds okay. them back in. Um, there there are a couple of these books that uh, are not in every version of the Apocrypha, like uh, one Enoch is uh, not always in the Apocrypha, etc. There is another genre or category of books that are that are called um, the pseudopigrapha, yeah. which are neither in um, uh, which are which are neither in uh, the Catholic Bible, so neither in the apocrypha, and also aren't in the Jewish Bible either. Um, basically, pseudepigrapha means the books that didn't make it in. Um, it also might, might refer pseudepigrapha. Uh, P S E U something, P S E U D. That would be false
2: pseudo. pseudo.
0: So um, no, that's, yes, yes. That's um, well, it is in a, in a sense. So pseudoepigrapha probably refers to the fact that most of these books and most of the books that we're talking about were written uh, pseudonymously. Uh, pseud- is that the right word? Pseudonymously, um, which means that they were um, that that who the books are named after and who, in most cases, the books are claimed to be written by are probably not who they're written by, right? So even in the Bible, the book of Daniel is probably not written by Daniel. One of the reasons you know that is uh, it's set in the Babylonian period, which is one of the reasons that it ends up in the canonized Bible, because it, it claims antiquity even though it was written probably much later, Um, so it claims to have been written by a prophet named Daniel who lived during the Babylonian period. And so there's that whole, uh, 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 famous scene where, uh, Daniel is in the, the court of Nebuchadnezzar and a finger comes and writes on the wall, uh, uh, Medi Medi, Medi, what?
2: many many take of a farce. there yeah. it is many
0: many take of a scene which uh, daniel interprets means uh, that the time has come for uh, uh for med and persia uh, and uh, um, which which prophesied the destruction of babylonia um, uh, uh, where where the uh, um, phrase the writing on the wall comes from um <laughs> Tekel Ufarsin, um, so like a, a numbered and counted are the days of Persia or something like that. Um, I, I can look it up in the Book of Daniel, I don't want to right now. But uh, um, uh, as a side note, when I was uh, growing up, I went to um, an Orthodox day school in Atlanta called Hebrew Academy, and there was this great Hanna-Barbera cartoon that, that, that did Bible stories and they did the book of Daniel in one of those Bible stories things and that was my, that's the scene that, that sticks out most in my mind is this, <laughs> this actual finger comes and writes on the wall there's these like kids that that like travel back in time to Bible times and you know there's this like bumbling kid named like you know Mowgli or something. anyway, no Mowgli is the jungle book yeah it was
3: all the
0: jungle book <laughs> it was all the jungle book there. the, there's another one that I remember very, uh, um, oh, well you of Daniel and the Lions den in that uh, episode too, but anyway, but uh, so Daniel claims authorship in the Babylonian period, but if you uh, it, it, with 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 any amount of knowledge of what was happening in the the essentially the the the, the period just before the Maccabean revolt, before the story of Hanukkah, um, it's easy to decode uh, Daniel's uh, more apocalyptic prophecies, uh, visions. Um, to be very thinly veiled references to what was going on in the Maccabean period, um, so that's why most scholars say that it was probably not written in the Babylonian period, and the language is is a later Aramaic. Uh, most of it's written in Aramaic, and, and, and anyway, um, so the the the, the you can see the, uh, and then I have Qumran apocalyptic literature. So the Qumran sect was. Uh, um, uh, we don't really know the theories about who they are, but uh, the Qumran is a, is an area near the Dead Sea. It's the Dead Sea Scrolls, basically. So the Dead Sea Scrolls have a lot of this kind of literature, and the Dead Sea sect was very preoccupied with uh, with with the eschaton, with the end of the world, um, which is probably why they were out living in the desert, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, to like hide out until uh, until God came. Uh, 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 they died out. Oh, God didn't hearty. come yet. Um, and, um, uh, but anyway, so they, they have a. So you can see, so the, the time period that we're talking about is an interesting time period. The, the historical uh, era um, are really eras in which um, uh, there is, uh, um, th- where, where these are written, most are either written before the Maccabean revolt or during the Roman period, right? And what those periods had in common were a lack of Jewish sovereignty. And um, the persecution of the community of faith, or the perception of the persecution of the community of faith, right? So where Antiochus forbids the study of Torah and uh, and outlaws circumcision, say right? Or uh, and and where many Jews are uh, um, are are you know. Uh, uh, um, uh, Hellenizing of their own volition, right? They they want to be more Greek, and, and for the community faith, this was a terrifying development, a terrifying phenomenon. Clearly, it it uh, it, it indicated that 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 uh, that that something was really wrong. A world in which um, there is uh, God's justice, right, um, can't be a world in which righteous people are persecuted by uh, by the uh, by the idolatrous Greeks. That just can't happen. Um, and, uh, um, and, and also, right, the, the, uh, the, the prophets foretold, uh, in the ancient prophets before the Babylonian exile foretold that eventually there'd be a restoration of Jewish sovereignty in the land of Israel. Well, where's the restoration of Jewish sovereignty when we have Greeks running the show, right? Not only running the show, but doing things that we really don't like. And more Jews abandoning Judaism than taking on Judaism, right? They saw the Pew report of their time too, and they didn't like it, right? So... <laughs> Um, so, that's happening then. In the Roman period, similar things are happening, right? Um, uh, it is, uh, if you read this it's a, a, a great uh, book uh, by uh, Reza Aslan, uh, Stanley and I talk about this a lot, and Lita and I talk about this a lot, uh, by uh, it's a new book called Zealot about uh, the, the life and times of Jesus of Nazareth. Um, that, that, that really contextualizes these uh, movements and these phenomena during the time, during the Roman uh, uh, period, during the Roman occupation. Uh, because people who were believing passionate Jews um, saw uh, in the, the Roman control of the land of Israel um, the, the, the uh, real challenges to God's justice, right? How can a just God let... Uh, um, uh, believing Jews be executed for believing in Judaism and and, and uh, things like that, um, and for you know wicked idolaters to be sort of running the, the show. Uh, so um, uh, so it presented a major challenge, a major problem to uh, to so uh, so most of these books are written during those periods of real uh, of of real challenge to uh, God's justice and uh, the prophecies of the of the Hebrew Bible. Okay. So that's uh, that's that's part one about what is apocalyptic literature. I'm just going to breeze through a couple things uh, about uh, what are they like and, and, and what do they teach. Um, uh, but I'll just pause for a moment. Are there any questions or, or comments before we move on to that?
4: Were any of these books written in Greek? Or were they all written in Hebrew or uh,
0: Aramaic? Uh, so it's a great question. Uh, um, most uh, um most of the Jewish ones were written in, uh, in in Hebrew Aramaic, and part of the reason and we'll see. You know what what do they like? Um, might as well jump to that now. And I have it as number four, but uh, um, uh, but but uh, but. Um, but I could jump it to number one, um, is, that, uh, um, is that they're mainly pseud- pseudonymous, where this, they're trying to claim antiquity and claim authority that the authors maybe didn't have. Now, there are two ways of looking at that. One is that uh, you know, the authors are being dishonest. That's one way of looking at it. I don't really think that that's actually what's happening. I think the authors really believed that they were, um, that they were uh, a speaking ancient prophecy. Right, the ancient prophecy was being channeled through them, uh, and so uh, they uh, uh, so either they would have they, they wrote it under the names that they wrote it because it's what those figures would have said were they alive at the time, right? Or um, they believed that those figures were actually communicating that wisdom to them, that vision to them. Um, so let's let's just look at a passage in the book of Daniel, and I I, I brought this passage. Uh, as opposed to some of the ones that are banned for a couple reasons. One is that it's easy to access. You can open up any copy of the Hebrew Bible and uh, find the book of Daniel and see a, a very good, clear example of this kind of literature. Uh, it's an older version of it, but you can, if, you, if you're at all familiar with, say, the book of Revelation um, in the Christian Bible you will very easily see uh, um, the, the parallels in style and language between, between this and that. Um, uh, and, and then everything in between of, of Jewish literature um, written by Jews, for Jews that didn't make it into the Bible, matches this, this sort of pattern. Um, so uh, w- would someone read this for us so that uh, my voice will uh, catch a quick break? Hello.
3: Daniel. Oh, sir, Is it I, Daniel? I, Daniel. Yes, yeah, sir. I, Daniel, saw in my living by night the four winds of heaven stirring up the great sea. Three and four great...
0: Yeah, the, the, the no. three is just the verse number, sorry.
3: I, and four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then, as I watched, its wings were plucked off and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a human being, and a human mind was given to it another beast appeared a second one that looked like a bear it was raised up on one side had three tusks in its mouth among its teeth and was told arise devour many bodies after this as i watched another appeared like a leopard the beast had four wings of a bird on its back and four heads and dominion was given to it after this i saw in the visions by night a fourth beast terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong it had great iron teeth and was devouring, breaking in pieces and stamping what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that preceded it and had ten horns. I was considering the horns when another horn appeared, a little one, coming up amongst them to make room for it. Three of the earlier horns were plucked up by the roots. There were eyes like human eyes in this horn, and their mouths speaking arrogantly. As I watched, thrones were set in place and the ancient of days took his throne. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, and its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued, and flowed out from his presence. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood attending him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I watched then because of the noise of the arrogant words that the horn was speaking, and as I watched, the beast was put to death and his body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. As I watched in the night visions, I saw one like a human being humming with the clouds of heaven. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. To him was given dominion and glory and kingship, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that shall not pass away, and his kingship is one that shall never be destroyed. Okay. Boy, wow.
2: that's nightmares for a year. Yeah. Psychiatrist.
3: Yeah.
0: <laughs>
2: wow. <Psychiatrists>. wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They were captured. Yeah. Yes, they were. Oh, maybe it was a spaceship. Right.
0: So what? So what is that? So what is that? Who? Who thinks that they can give an, uh, a definitive interpretation of that vision? <laughs> Definitely just try and, it tries, I can and, and try to read the in the tri- Bible. It. Right, okay, right, right. <laughs> no, so uh, the, the reason I ask that question is because that's one of the features of apocalyptic literature is that it is designed to be esoteric, right? That uh, it's intended for or understood by only a person or a particular person or group of people. Right, That uh, that this is not something that everybody's supposed to know. There's the whole idea of it, of it being sort of peeking back behind the veil. Not everybody really gets what's going on, and that's part of the point. Right, The, the reason things are all screwed up is because people don't really see what's happening, and, and, and we shouldn't let too many people know what's really happening, because then it might impact um, what's going to happen to uh, speed along God's So We don't want too many people to know about it. We don't want too many people to be able to interpret and understand it. Okay. it's also very uh, literary, uh, right? So uh, as opposed to the prophets of the Hebrew Bible, the uh, writers of apocalyptic literature designed their books to be uh, written, which uh, which kind of feeds into the esoteric nature of them. People, most people, didn't read or write at that time. So if you uh, were not a, a the, the the literary prophets are called literary prophets, but really, actually, they were uh, the, uh, the prophets of the Bible primarily had oral prophecies, Um, uh, and that's how they got famous. They stood on street corners and preached. Um, But the writers of this literature wrote their stuff down and designed it to be written down so that most people couldn't read it or or access it.
1: Was it designed to frighten the people?
0: Uh, it may have been designed to frighten the people, although it's, you know, it's, it's hard to be frightened by what, what you don't really understand. But the, uh, uh, but, but, but the, the idea, what's, what's frightening about it, I mean, first of all, there's sort of like a dread about the whole idea. What's frightening about it overall is this notion that there is going to be this, like, you know, crazy mythological event. It is happening sometime soon, and there's nothing we can really do about it. Um, so yeah, in a way, it was supposed to
1: frighten people. Oh, because I would read it that you said this terrible event, nothing we can do about it. I would read it, you better shape up, or this will happen.
0: Uh, so it doesn't give
1: us any control. Which is what I yeah, meant anyway. I,
3: that's part of the.
0: Um... Yeah, right. So that, that's, that's one of the. Right, this is not. This is not something that, uh, that, that can be influenced so, by, yeah, uh, right. by... Right, exactly. This is something that, that got us pulling the strings of all of this happening, and it's going to happen whether you like it or not.
3: Mm-hmm. this was not something that was meant for sort of wide public dissemination? This was really sort of meant for
2: more of a select group of people?
0: Uh, that's the theory, yeah. yeah. Um,
2: it was meant for a select group of people. A select people. group
0: of people. Um, in part because most people couldn't read it anyway. Um, uh, but, uh, but, uh, um, uh, but yeah, but I think, uh, um, um, what, what, what lends it, what lends it its mystique, um, is that, uh, the layperson can't really access it. You like need a decoder to be able to tell you what, what it really means. Um, and, and what's characteristic in some of these books is the author themselves, uh, or the right, you know, the, the, the narrator saying, I don't really understand what's going on. Right? And then you know, an angel or, or, or some other kind of guide you know, uh, interpreting some of it, but not all of it. Right? Um, so you have it even within the literature itself. Yeah.
3: But it sounds like as horrible as it was with all of these, these creatures, uh, uh, in the end, there's a human being that comes. So if you endure all of the horror, in the end, there's actually a person who's going to prevail. So I'm thinking too that while they, they meant to scare you and you don't know how long it's going to last, it's going to last a season and a time. I don't know how long that is. Yeah. But uh, at the end, isn't there going to be some? Everything's going to turn
0: out. Well, well, yeah. Well, so it depends on on what you mean by everything's going to turn out. So first of all, is this one like a human being? Um, it,
4: isn't it, this a Christian proof
0: text? It is. It is certainly used as a Christian proof text. Although, to be fair, it's also used as a. Jewish proof text for uh, for for so there's a a very famous passage in uh, in in the tractate Sanhedrin which I didn't include in a lot of the passages of Sanhedrin that I included in this uh, um, uh, reader that I gave um, that, uh, that that uses this as a proof text for the Messiah. Uh, um, uh, um, um, what was I going to say? Um, uh, oh, the, so the, how the how the this sort of gives away part of what, what, how, why the rabbis were uncomfortable with some of this literature. The creative interpretation of this is that you have this passage that says um, that uh, this uh, um, figure, like a human being, is going to come with dominion and glory and all of this stuff. There's another passage in uh, uh, elsewhere in the prophets. I want to say in Zechariah, maybe uh, that uh, that says that uh, the the new that the, the Messiah is going to come poor and riding on a donkey. Also uses Christian proof text. Um, but uh, the rabbis and Zanhedrin say, if you deserve the Messiah. Right? If you do what you're supposed to do, and, and, and have, then he's going to come with glory and whatever. If you don't deserve the Messiah, he's going to come poor and riding on a donkey. right? So, uh, so that's what the rabbis do with it and say that, that it's going to come one way or the other, but the quality of the Messiah coming is going to be somehow different depending on what you do. right? Um, that sort of gives away the, the punchline, but we'll hopefully come back to it if there's time, that, that one of the reasons the rabbis were so uncomfortable and why most of these... Got excised in a way from the Jewish tradition is because what the rabbis wanted was a tradition where uh, where human action mattered, yeah. right? Where uh, where we could influence the coming of the Messiah. Um, uh, that it was more than just our waiting for the Messiah to come or not come. That that uh, that what we do has validity, what we do matters, and that we can somehow um, speed along uh, God's plan, um, if there is even a God's plan.
3: Okay, so the naive question: Are you suggesting that? Uh, are you saying that these things were in the Torah originally, and then got excised?
0: No, it, it, it's not that they were in the Torah. First of all, the Torah refers only to the. Uh, no, no, don't worry about it. Sorry, I gave that too much of Um, No, no, don't worry about it. Um, uh, so, the, so the Torah itself just refers to the five books of Moses, and those were uh, um, by even you know liberals like me. Uh, finalized most likely by, uh, by by the end of the Babylonian period, um, and the broader Hebrew Bible, which is much more of a uh, compendium of a lot of different kinds. It's more. It's sort of like a. By, the word Bible itself um, uh, means book, right? Or it means books. It's sort of like a library of Jewish texts, like the greatest hits of Hebrew literature, right? Um, and so. So there were, so that was much more fluid over the course of time, what was in and out of that, uh, 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 that canon of literature, right? what okay. counted. Ultimately, the rabbis had say of you know, what made it into the final greatest hits collection and what didn't. Um, and the rabbis were very uncomfortable with a lot of this literature. Some, they, like the book of Daniel, they couldn't really kick out because it was too famous by that time. But some, like the book of Enoch, they could say, you know, it's not really all that famous. Like, people know about it. Uh, but it's not really all famous. And then Rabbi Akiva says, and you really shouldn't study it, right? Um, that's outside <laughs> literature, right? Um, so not only is it not in the Bible, but it's not in the Bible for a reason, right? And and uh, and you're really outside the pale if you actually study this stuff. Um,
1: Rabbi, is this literature setting the stage not for a supreme being, dominion everlasting won't pass away kingship is one never be destroyed is this just a group of people setting the stage for their political control either one of them to take over or this their group to to take over um and maybe
0: it's a political... I
1: going um, to say a politician. Yeah. It's, it's a politician. Yeah, no, no, i sorry. That's <laughs> my, my, my brain is wired to that.
0: Yeah. Um, so I, 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 suppose, I suppose it's possible. And, and, of course, if the rabbis felt threatened by it in some way, that, that seems like it could be a plausible read. Most of the scholarship that I've read on the subject doesn't go that route. <laughs> uh, and, and part of that is because... Uh, it seems like these books were designed not to be read by a wide audience, and, and if you, what you're arguing for is your own, you know, sort of political uh, agenda, you want most people to be able to read it. You want people to be able to say, oh, yeah, you know, they're right, but right? But when they
2: were written, not everybody was re- able to read.
0: Right, I know, but most people were... It, the theory is that people weren't preaching this on street corners. Um,
4: okay. Um, uh, Following up on Lita's point, again it's unfair. I know I mean I know that this is a historical the scholars view this as as a historical description of the kingdoms at that time Mm -hmm. the the conflict between the kingdoms. But could you read it as an anti king an anti king version written by P written by P. The P, the, like the priestly the P, source? Yes, yeah, the priestly source. In order to point out the um, failures yeah. of the Davidic uh, uh, kings following uh, Solomon.
0: So, okay. So there's there's a few pieces of that. The first is, um, hi- historically, uh, P refers to um, a, an author or a group of authors um, that, that lived... Uh, probably sometime around the uh, the seventh century BCE, so well before the period of time that we're talking about with this kind of literature. Now, the, some of these authors wrote these books may have been uh, in the pre, may have been priests or in the priestly class, uh, but but not technically P, which is what you're referring to. Um, and there is disagreement among some of them uh, about whether this uh, whether a messianic figure would be of uh, Davidic descent or Levitical descent. Uh, Ezekiel, for example, which uh, which is a much earlier uh, precursor to some of this kind of literature, but where some of this literature may have gotten its style from, um, is probably uh, in that P tradition. And Ezekiel, many people argue, is is, is arguing for uh, priestly rule. Um, so the, it's the, the, there's not a, there's, it's not monolithic in in this literature about whether they're arguing for Davidic rule or or priestly rule. Now, uh, the book of Daniel, which we were looking at before, very clearly is uh, is uh, well not clearly because it's all very esoteric, but but uh, but but is arguing for the ultimate downfall of the uh, the uh, um, uh, um um um. Uh, the Assyrian Greek uh, kings, right, is saying that they're going to. That's the people who who you know come with all the horns and the beasts and the what. It, those are the Assyrian Greeks, right? And eventually, their rule is going to be supplanted by God. Right? So there is a political argument there that uh, that 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 this is only temporary, right? And that they aren't really. They don't really have uh, a claim of authority over us, and uh, and so we can actually reject their rule in a way because God's going to eventually come. So there's a political tinge to it for sure. Whether it was um, you know meant to be a uh, the the, uh, the argument for a political movement, you know, on the level of the Maccabees against the Greeks, probably not. I would argue, but I could be wrong about that. So it seems to me, and this
3: is, goes back to the first question that I had. That it seems to me that if that if Part of the reason, or part of what was behind this literature, was almost to be sort of reassuring about to, to to the Jews that all of these sort of foreigners were there, sort of taking over. I'm surprised that they would not have wanted this to be more than widely disseminated. I mean, it could have been sort of comforting for for the general population,
0: right? But they, but if you feel I mean, like
3: no, but if what if, if, if what Rabbi is saying is that <sighs> is that this yeah. is supposed to illustrate. That foreign rule is really only sort of temporary. God's going to step back in, and he's you know, so that so you know, the Greek rule is illegitimate and all the rest of it. I imagine that that could have been fairly comforting. For everybody, so just you yeah. know, hold your breath. It's
0: all going to be fine. Right. So, so there are a few problems with that. The first is that uh, that that insofar as there is a political bent to this, um, if it gets widely disseminated and uh, Antiochus finds out, you know you're kaput, right? right? <laughs> uh, so that's what that. So you, you know once once it's widely disseminated, you can't really control right. who's reading it, and right. that's not a good thing. So that's one of the reasons you want to keep it secret. <laughs> the other is if you think that. The majority of the population are a whole bunch of sinners, right? You don't want them reading. You want God's judgment on them. You don't want them repenting, right? And uh, right. So, uh, um, to the extent that maybe repentance would matter, um, so, uh, so so that's a piece of it too. You want you want God's swift vengeance on the Jews who were uh, traitors to Judaism. The
3: imagery is so astounding. You said the Assyrians had images like this
0: uh well so that that's something that uh, the the uh, scholars of the literature discuss is like, you know, where where did the style come from and there are different theories about it the the pieces probably maybe from greek mythology and uh uh Babylonian mythology Pers- persian mythology etc um uh that that's sort of above my pay grade although that that, that that's uh, um you're talking about what 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 the style is like um uh, symbolic, right? So all the symbolism. Okay. So the, what, what, uh, not to, not to overdo it too much. I mean, we don't have, uh, we started a little bit late, so if you don't mind it going like a, like five minutes over, oh, sure. we, we can go through a couple no of, uh, uh, other of these things. Um, but so, he, but here's really the, the punchline of, of this, what are they like? Uh, and, and, uh, this is, uh, from, from, uh, Russell, who, who wrote a great book on, on this literature. It's essentially a literature of the oppressed who saw no hope for the nation simply in terms of politics or on the plane of human history. I don't know if I gave you this quote. The battle they were fighting was on a spiritual level. And so they were compelled to look beyond history to the dramatic and miraculous intervention of God who would set to right the injustices done to his people Israel. Book after book throbs with the passionate conviction that all that God had promised would surely come to pass. Right, so everything that God promised to the prophets is eventually going to come. Right, we just got to wait for it. Right, in a way, and this is what uh, um, you know why I titled this session: what they have to teach us about heaven and hell and, and the afterlife and the end of the world. Very much this literature um, has its origins in uh, what uh, theologians call uh, theodicy, uh-huh. which is the problem of, God, uh, of, of, of evil and, and God's justice in the world. How do you have a good God who is, uh, um, you know, in certain philosophical systems, all-powerful, uh, that allows for uh, good people to suffer? Right. Righteous people to suffer. Right. So the, in a way, this is a very elaborate tradition dealing with that very question. Now, uh, uh, from, from my work, from where I sit, I think that there are better ways of dealing with that question than, than this literature. But, it, but, it, but, um, but in a lot of you, know one is to say that maybe God's not all powerful. That's, 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 that's session three of the taboo Judaism series, I think. So we'll get there. Um, you didn't have to come to this to go to that. You don't have to go to that to come to this. But, um, uh, but, uh, but, but for uh, for people that weren't yet ready to, to, to grapple with that possibility that God may not be all powerful. Although, if you by a close read of the Bible, at least the Torah itself. Um, God doesn't seem to be all-powerful, so uh, so that, that was really, in some ways, a problem of their own making, and really the Greeks' own making, because it's really the Greeks' fault for all this. Uh, the Greek philosophy creates the problem of God being all-powerful, and then the Jews say, wait a minute, maybe God's all-powerful, and then we have to deal with the problem of God being all-powerful. So, um, uh, but but really the idea of there being a, a, a moral afterlife, right, which is one theory that's presented in some of this literature, that not necessarily an end of the world, but that's what happens when you die is that there's a judgment and then there's good and bad go to different places. That's not an idea that's native to the Bible, right? But it's a way of dealing with this question of why do bad things happen to good people? And one of the ways you deal with that is God's justice doesn't happen until later. Um... There's an afterlife in the Bible, sort of, but it's not a moral afterlife. It's just sort of a netherworld.
3: It might be some kind of a hands-off approach. Uh, and that, um, It's not that whether God is or isn't all powerful, but hands-off, let's see how people treat each other.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's Maybe. really
4: inconsistent with the covenant. Because not the covenant does not talk Right. About an afterlife, yeah. so there's a lot of things that you're going to get if you follow what I what I tell you to do, but it doesn't talk about an afterlife. Well, right, that's uh, why it would not have been one reason I think it <clears throat> would have been. One yes,
0: one one. although although one of the problems that this literature comes to deal with is there's a problem in the covenant, right? The covenant deals with all sorts of rewards and punishments you're going to get for observing or not observing the commandments. One sided. <laughs> that, that's, that, that's problematic, too. It's yeah. one-sided, right? It's uh, not God, a
1: legal covenant. Right,
4: right. There's no obligations on
0: God's right. end, all the <laughs> obligations are on what?
4: Some of it is bilateral.
0: That's true. That's, um, uh, it's, uh, but it is very it is very lopsided, I'll, I'll grant you that. But, uh, but you do have that. I mean, the book of Deuteronomy and, and, Levit- and the end of Leviticus are filled with, you know, what's going to happen to you if you don't fulfill the covenant? And, uh, and and what will happen to you if you do? And, and uh, you know, the, the, the faith the faith community of the Maccabean period says, well, wait a minute, we're observing the Torah, and terrible stuff is happening to people who are observing the Torah for observing the Torah. How can that be? Right? That's not what God said in the Torah. So you have to deal with that problem. And one of the ways is, is saying uh, it's going to get sorted out after you die. And one of the ways is saying that, uh, that, that it's going to get sorted out uh, when God overturns the natural order.
4: But that's a segue to Christianity. Well, right. So that, so that's Christian so that's was Jewish first. Right, they exactly. To right. Deal so with, they had to deal with it after, life. we didn't, in the covenant, and, and we don't deal with that. Whereas okay. Christianity right. then picks up well, and, well, and can deal
0: with it. Right. Uh, but Stanley, I, 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 what I'm arguing here is that, um, is that um, where, where the Christians go with it is really um, not all that... Not that dissimilar from where Judaism did go and in some ways still went with it. I mean, like um, the rabbis, I I brought a lot of these texts. You take the source sheet home with you because I I brought a lot of how some of this stuff crept into the rabbinic tradition. The rabbis talk a lot about uh, a moral afterlife. Um, uh, about uh, uh, and and there's uh, ambivalence in the in the rabbinic tradition about whether there's a moral afterlife in terms of what happens right after you die, or whether it's an, a, a later judgment.
4: Right, but you put your finger on it; it's the it's the dichotomy between the rabbinic tradition and the temple tradition,
0: and the temple tradition,
4: right? Although That's I but the difference in yes. the rabbinic tradition that they the afterlife may have started to in, but I don't think before that.
0: No, but, well,
4: probably not.
0: Probably not. Uh, I mean, it depends on what you mean by the temple tradition, because some of, some of this literature coexisted with, uh, with, with the temple, right? The temple existed during the Maccabean period. The te- that's what the story of Hanukkah is all about. After all, right, the temple existed during the Roman period. Um, uh, but, but, so they, so, but the afterlife issues or the end-of-world issues are dealing with, you know, well, we're, we're sacrificing the temple, and, uh, and we're doing what God said God wanted, and yet we're suffering. Right. Um, so you have to, yeah.
2: If, if one of the functions of these writings is to sort of, I don't know if the term is reconcile, but to to allow for to help facilitate the study of Torah in a time where a study of or or study of anything, mm-hmm. why why would these? Be banned any more than any of the
0: other material was banned. Yeah, so uh, good. So that's that's the that's the final question. And since we're we're basically out of time, I think that we, we we've uh, um, uh, you know sort of gotten enough of a sense. The the the, the um, so I think that the books are banned, uh, and, and it's sort of an open question because there's not really uh, uh, a lot of discussion about why they're banned in rabbinic literature. I think one of the reasons is that the rabbis were um, much more. Interested in in human agency to bring about uh, to bring about the, the time of the Messiah. By the way, the Messiah is an invention of this kind of literature. So the the pro- the prophets talk about a, a, some of them talk about Melech Hamashiach. Uh, the the Torah doesn't talk about a, a Messiah. The prophets talk about Melech, but it really really literally means an anointed king, which was how you inaugurated a new king, but it meant something much more uh, local and human. Uh, The concept of a Messiah as a sort of supernatural phenomenon uh, was an invention of the apocalyptic literature, but the rabbis kept that, right? And and the later Jewish tradition uh, kept that. The Christians certainly kept that in a much more a uh, uh, slightly different sli- I, I say slightly different way there's some radical changes of it but um, but in a lot of ways slightly different way um, but they were but, but the rabbis uh, I think were ambivalent about this literature because um, it really robbed uh, human agency there's nothing you can do about it. and the rabbis a central concept to the rabbis is tshuva, that you could repent and change your fate so um, you could see the the, the, the that uh, text that I that I referenced before from the book of Sanhed from the tractate of Sanhedrin of the of the uh, Talmud, where uh, Joshua ben Levi goes and Rabbi Joshua ben Levi goes and meets the Messiah, and, uh, and and says, "When are you coming?" And the Messiah says, "Today." And Joshua ben Levi goes back to the prophet Elijah who he had met, and he says, "The Messiah lied to me because he said he's coming today." Uh, um, and, uh, and he hasn't come. And, uh, and, and Elijah says, uh, you misunderstood him. He said, today, if you listen to his voice, right, which probably means he'll come today if you do what you're supposed to do to bring him here today, right? So that's, that's where the rabbis went with this, which is not what the apocalyptic literature was saying. The apocalyptic literature nothing was, was saying, yeah, there's nothing you can do about it. It's going to come when it comes, right? Um.
3: I'm questioning this word, banned. Was, were these banned, or were they just selected to be left out? There's a very definite difference.
0: Yeah, so uh, the, in part, the word banned, I, I just like the term banned books of the Bible for marketing purposes.
3: Um,
1: <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: Alliteration.
0: Uh, right, right. Um, so, um, uh, you know, it, it's it's... Listen. You have that statement of, of, of Rabbi Akiva that says that you don't. You lose your share of the world to come if you read outside books, right? Uh, which uh, which is probably referring to at least in part this literature.
2: Well, then
0: that could be I, 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 that. To me, suggests ban. Um, you know, it, it depends. So you, you talk about like say like the Council of Nicaea. Um, that decided what was going to be in the Christian Bible the stuff that was left out Was it banned from the Christian Bible or did it just hit the cutting so room it, floor because you it can't it have it. a huge book? You have to have a you know that's a book that it. you can put on the shelf. Say, you know, maybe a little column A and a little column B, right? You okay. know some things just because maybe it's redundant, right? So you already have Daniel in, in the Bible, so why do you need Enoch in the Bible? Right? Okay. So you have a, an example of this kind of literature, right? So you already have Proverbs in the Bible, so why do you need Ben Sira in the Bible? You already have an example of that kind of literature. You don't need everything in the Greatest Hits album, right? So you, right? So you, you could be right about that. city. Um, your question was about, uh, about about study, right? And I think that that's also a piece of why this literature doesn't make it into the Bible, according to the rabbis, is because it's um, it's, uh, it, it's it's um, it's not helpful to study, um, so it doesn't. Uh, it it, it uh, um, it's it's uh, it's it's um, it doesn't yield a lot of uh, moral meaning upon you know uh, in depth analysis in much the same way that the rabbis, even though they left it in the Bible because it had a lot of authority in antiquity. The, the opening chapter of the book of Ezekiel, which has some of these elements of the skies opening up and Ezekiel seeing a vision of the divine chariots and all of these things, the rabbis say you shouldn't study that because it, it's really hard to understand what it means and you'll end up just kind of going astray. The rabbis were comfortable with a certain level of ambiguity for the purpose of, uh, of, of study and analysis, but ultimately wanted a... Uh, uh, an authoritative, authoritative tradition of interpretation to be able to say, you know, what's the what's the moral message of this? Something right? You can act on. right, Something you can act on. Something you can do. Uh, so they were very uncomfortable with that first chapter of uh, Ezekiel, the sixth chapter of Isaiah. Even those those made it into haftoras. Um, the sixth chapter of Isaiah is where you get, you know, the angels calling out to each other, "Holy, holy, holy," the Lord of hosts, the whole world is filled with His glory. Another. Scholars debate whether that counts as apocalyptic, but it has some of the same features. Right, Isaiah gets to peek back behind the curtain and see what's happening. Um, so that's a, so that, that's I think a big uh, a big part of it too. But I think um, I think uh, you know ultimately, um, you know uh, uh, what, what you have here is attention. These books had a, an influence and an impact on uh, on Judaism and the Jewish tradition. Right, we still have a concept of uh, of a Messiah in the Jewish tradition. In some ways, we have a concept of Messiah that, uh, that that people believe is going to come one way or another, right? Uh, whether or not we deserve it, and you look in the in some of the texts I gave, you see a lot of debate and discrepancy about, you know, whether or not there's human action that can influence, right? or whether it's just you know when everything descends into chaos and 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 uh, and and horror, that's when you know the Messiah is going to come, right? <laughs> Um, so just you know, don't over worry about it, right? <laughs> or when everybody is really, really good, that's when the Messiah is going to come. In which case, there's something that we should worry about. There's a there's this great tradition. I don't think it's in the Talmud, but there's a, maybe it's a Hasidic tradition. Messiah is either going to come when every single Jew observes completely one Shabbat, and uh, and there's an <laughs> alternative <laughs> tradition that good, says when every single at the same time an alternative tradition that says when uh, when every single Jew doesn't observe one Shabbat (laughs)
2: <laughs>
3: and,
0: I, and, and my, my, my teacher, I Remy heard Feigelson, heard teacher. Uh, says she often wonders which would be an easier thing to accomplish. <laughs> I don't know.
1: Actually. And first you have to define what is a Jew.
3: Well, yes, right? And yes. then what's complete what observance of Shabbat, right? Well, one of the problems is you don't learn, in this, I certainly didn't learn in Hebrew school, anything about afterlife or, or the Messiah or yeah. any of that. I mean, so it's almost like foreign to people and yeah. a lot yeah. of people Jews don't believe in that.
2: Right. You take classes at Kretz with Dr. Sandberg and she takes she teaches essential rabbinic beliefs, and well, she goes I'm into I'm all this. Well, I'm yeah. in the Melton yeah. program now. Right. So. Okay, so, that helps. So, program so I program will do some of that, yes. Lot, yeah. yeah. But, but that. most people don't know this about yeah. Well. So, yeah, so I think, like there's a, a, I, yeah, I think
0: there's a few reasons yeah. for that, and I'll close with this, okay? Mm-hmm. So um, one of the reasons is um, I think that there, is a, uh, there, there has been a sense throughout, especially um, uh, from medieval European Jewish history and on, That we should do whatever we can to distance Judaism from Christianity, and so anything that sounds even remotely Christian, even if it's a a native belief to Judaism, we just won't teach it because there's too much of a concern about overlap. Hmm. I, I don't think that that's necessarily so helpful. Like in in a way, I actually probably shouldn't be on record saying this, but this is part of (laughs) why why I'm teaching next week's class. You know, in a way, from a halachic point of view um there's much less of a problem believing in the you know in in Jesus as the Messiah than there is not observing Shabbat right so like in a way like I'd rather teach a concept of Messiah and worry about the possibility of confusion there if I spend time emphasizing you know what is actually a uh um, a, a crucial Jewish practices and beliefs so that's one piece of it though I think that's second is um. And I say this with a lot of, you know, myself being a liberal Jew, um, uh, the, these are very challenging concepts to liberal Judaism. So if you go to Orthodox schools, especially in Chabad, they have no problem with talking about this stuff. Um, especially Messiah. Uh, it's very central to their thinking. Mashiach. Um, and, uh, and because they have no... Um, they have no problem with, uh, with with the supernatural and the language of the supernatural. Um, in liberal contexts, I think for good reasons, um, uh, we have challenges with, uh, with with that sort of supernatural concept and supernatural language. And so we don't teach the stuff because, one, the teachers have trouble with it, and also our our, our feeling is the the student body won't buy it. Right? Uh, you know, say like, oh, Judaism is like a stupid fairy tale nonsense if you start getting into that. Um, I think that that's fair in a way, you know. Um, uh, that uh, that 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 concern exists. I struggle with that myself, you know, because i I I, uh, um, I, in, I I believe in I believe in uh, in 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 the concept. First of all, I believe in 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 the afterlife from a certain perspective, but I try to view it from a more uh, uh, naturalistic, scientific point of view. Um, and I believe in the Messiah also from a similar point of view. But that's a the, the, the supernatural version of that narrative is much easier to communicate, right? So I don't spend a lot of time because it's actually my conception of those things actually much harder to get across.
2: Um, but, yeah. Excuse me, why not teach the Agadah as well as the Halakha, the Agadah being Jewish beliefs? You don't have to believe it all, but shouldn't that be part of our knowledge? I think that's Basically, what you're getting yeah. at. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you don't have to agree with it, but you should. You should know that it exists. Well, I,
0: right. So and
3: if you feel ignorant when you're an adult.
2: Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. 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 exactly. And I can't you, to to yeah. And, and you can't really teach it
3: to children.
0: Yeah, and
3: you can't teach it to children.
0: Yeah. So I get. I mean, you. you so they, part they of the were and,
4: black and,
1: white. Mm-hmm. and the,
0: the other the, one of the other problems with teaching yeah. it to children yeah. is the sort of the Catholic yeah. problem. It's a really terrifying belief of uh, you constantly being worried about whether what you're going to do is going to get you into hell or heaven, right? Uh, so that's another reason I think is is that there's a damaging element of, of teaching this stuff. Of um, so uh, you, listen, I, I hear you, you know, and there's always a balance between what's the objective of Jewish education? Mm-hmm. Is the objective uh, Jewish literacy? That, as uh, Solomon Schechter said, "Nothing Jewish should be foreign to me." Yeah. Um, that's that. I think is a, is is a, is a value. Uh, on the other hand, there's another objective of Jewish education, which is to, uh, is, is to turn out uh, um, uh, people that, that, that live their lives um, in a way that's, that's infused and informed by Jewish practices and ethics, um, which in a lot of ways overlaps, but in some ways doesn't at all, right? So like issues like that, I don't think really factor that much into that side of things. Um, so it's a challenge, and you only have... Two days a week
3: that, in the evenings point. to
0: yeah. to, him, to and do the, it. and yeah. the
3: only the only other thing is that there's a big problem in our children not being able to answer or talk back to or defend Judaism when a a a, a, a young Catholic child
2: who has been schooled and right off yeah and you don't and they don't know this stuff. And it's hard, and a lot of that Christian stuff. I mean, I'm taking classes at Gratz where they talk about. You know, I'm taking a class that the and Jewish and Christian liturgy. Mm-hmm. You know, where we talk about what comes from Judaism. Yeah. Doctor Sandberg took the uh, the Sermon on the Mount and showed which, like about seventy five percent of it comes from Jewish texts. Ah, so and were you, people were, should were, know this stuff. Will you
0: share that uh, material? Because next next
2: month's taboo Judaism is kosher Christianity. Oh, it's true.